Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome guys, this week's episode of Heavy Metal Tones with me, your podcast host, Tony Evans. Um, uh, this is a, a format I haven't done for a little while, this is an album review or chit chat about an album, I don't want to say it's a review because um, that means it could be positives, it could be negatives, I just want to talk about the album. Uh, and this covers about after me listening to a podcast recently, uh, Rock on Tours, which I love, um, and it had Paul Simonon on it, the bass player from The Clash. And I'd been going for a bit of a uh, in and out phase with Clash for most of my adult life, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm in a Clash moment now. And um, so I thought, hmm, I might mention. Let's talk about one of those on the show this week. Hang on, tea time already. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, okay. So what album? And I, you know, then you know, not a huge, vast catalogue of albums to play with. Could I go the first album? Could I go, you know, um, later albums? And I thought, you know, I'm going to go the one that everyone will know, but everyone has has such a diverse opinions about. Uh, and I'm thinking with the troubling third album, uh, sandwiched between the first album and uh, and, and uh, enough rope. That's uh, so after enough rope and built before the terrible, terrible decision they made when they made Sandinista. Now the people out there who might absolutely love uh, Sandinista, I personally can't abide the album, but um, before that album came this one, which is London Calling. Now, those out there who don't know, uh, who are putting their hands up and saying, but Tone, Tone, who are The Clash? Well, a quick potted history, um, The Clash are a founding punk band from the uh, burgeoning UK punk scene. Uh, founded in around about 76 through to 79 um, around 80 sort of period in the UK they were the more uh, political of the movement that time I mean the pistols were political but they were more socio-economical you know what I mean uh, whereas the punk uh, whereas the clash was more um, really sort of right on fists in the hand yeah um, picket line kind of band um 
And that comes purely because of Joe Strummer's uh, sort of, I think his love of um, Bob Dylan and protest music and, and, and so forth, you know, more, more than anything else. Um, I think he was the one that drove that band in that direction. I'm sure that Mick Jones will say that he had a bit of a, a thing to do with it, but I think Mick Jones just liked rock and roll, really, and wanted to be in a band and play music, whereas um, Joe Strummer was more wanted to change the world. Don't get me wrong, Mick Jones may have wanted to change the world. I, I can't speak for him, um, of course, but um, that's my that's the feeling I get. Anyway, they're the punk band. So they, they were... Um, from several different bands, London SS and um, all sorts of and other um, um, uh, bands around London uh, when the punk movement exploded and they formed, they came together and formed The Clash. I mean, I'm going to, and they signed to CBS, which was a massive problem uh, with the eth- ethos and ethics of the punk movement because they believed that the you know the hardcore member Cognoscenti of the uh, movement believed that uh, you shouldn't be there for making money. It was a it was a uh, a sign to big labels because it was about pulling down and tearing down the walls of of hypocrisy of of, of the oh, hypocrisy sorry of the state and of the music industry and recreating you know like Dadaism like um, Bauhaus. It was all about an art movement really. Even though it wasn't an art movement, it was an art movement. Um, you know, they'll tell you. I mean, John Lydon will tell you it wasn't to do with art. It was to do with passion and warf and, and aggression and, and 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 just wanting to be different. But it was an art movement. Uh, clearly, it was. All music is art, so therefore it's an art movement. Um, so they they were really the fans really really got sort of turned off by by the the clash i mean um the 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 irony of that is that even though the clash signed with cbs um they didn't really make that much money um yeah it was, they signed for eighty thousand pounds back in 17 not oh 77 78 i, I gotta check into that but around that period now that's you know today that's pennies but if you extrapolate that that's millions of pounds in today's um economy but it wasn't that much and and the albums that they made where they were big um they weren't huge i mean they didn't they weren't massive in america which is where you need to be to make the money until this album um of course uh, in fact not until really um combat rock uh, which was much more radio accessible album uh, you know, the first album was a pure, angry, um, stamp in the sand, um, this is us, uh, spit of vitriol and anger and rage and and um, and rock and roll and, and uh, the breakdown of rock and roll uh, into its very visceral parts and then reassembling into um, a, a more um, youth-orientated, um, anyone-can-do-it-ethos music form. Um the the they didn't really make that much money um because they firstly uh would tour relentlessly which costs money um of course also record deals back then even though they signed eighty thousand pounds it wasn't like it is now where you get lawyers scrupulously looking at the contract so they would probably got 
not much of that money, which is really sad when you think about who they are. Um, I don't think that Mick Jones really made any money really until he he formed Big Audio Dynamite. And I don't think that um, Topper Heaton on drums really did anything either. I mean, I think if I look, you know, if you look at um, uh, someone like Paul Simonon, I mean, Paul Simonon, as we talked about earlier, I think really he, he didn't make his big bucks until much later in life, I don't think, you know, when he's with, um, he, he did a lot with gorillas and, and things like that. Anyway, that aside, I'm getting sidetracked. So it's the, it was, it's a difficult third album. A lot of bands have difficult third albums, don't they? It seems to me that the first album, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, is the one where, you know, it's like the, it's like the going out the gate, it's like the running down the road, the first few metres, you've, you've done this before so many times, you know how to do it, here you go. Second one is, oh, and I'm suddenly getting a bit sort of, uh, not quite sure here, okay, I've still got a little bit of the previous album, this keep moving, I've got, we use material from the first, second album, third album is, okay, right now we have to have ideas again, and sometimes those ideas, they run well, and sometimes they fall flat. Uh, not so much the case with London's Calling. London Calling was released um, it was in 1979 on CBS, January 1980 in the USA and February, uh, sorry, December the 14th in the UK. In fact, it's CBS in the UK and, uh, sorry, Epic Records in America. It was recorded at the sadly now gone and wonderful Wessex Studios where everyone recorded Bowie and Rec, T-Rex and Queen and the Pistols and Marillion, in fact, everyone. I mean, everyone recorded there. Um, he had several singles from it. Um, on the 7th of December, London Calling, reaching number 11, number 11 in the charts. Uh, the band's highest reaching chart single until 10 years after that, when, um, when Should I Stay or Should I Go from... Combat Rock made it to number one, which is incredible when you think how many amazing singles they have released and how many songs they re- recorded, which, I mean, had they not been um, attacking the system and anti-authoritarian, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and all that sort of jazz, they would have probably got many top five singles, but... Um, no, they didn't. And again, did, I don't think. I mean, deep down, of course, if you sat down with Mick Jones and Paul Simonon and and uh, and Joe Strummer and Topper Heaton and said, "Hey, do you want a number one single?" Back in '79, '77, of course they would have said yes. To say no would be churlish. You know, even with all the punk ethos, you still got to live. You still got to make money. You still got to survive. And number one singles make your money, don't they? Anyway, um, so three singles off it. Uh, London Calling, uh, Clamp Down, which was only released here in Australia as a single, which I only did not know that, actually, until researching this album. Um, I really didn't know that, and I thought I knew my uh, my Clash singles, and uh, I'm sure, I mean, I... I just shocked me that I didn't know that. Anyway, it uh, was released in some parts of America on, on compilations, but it was only released in Australia as a single uh, uh, with the backs, uh, the B-side of Guns of Brixton, the Paul Simon song, which we'll talk about later on. And then the final single, Train in Vain, which is considered by many to be their greatest single. Uh, and it's also, it reached um, 200 and 
18 in the top 500 greatest singles of all time on on the Rolling Stones rock and rock list top rock list of, of uh, singles of all time. Um, it's interesting how and Train in Vain is also got this sort of um, brackets close open brackets uh, stand by me close brackets because it does we'll get to that in a minute but it does sound a, a lot like um, stand by me. Now, they wrote this album in a period of writer's block, so between August and November of 79. As I said before, it's that troublesome third album, uh, where um, I think also where the band got their writer's block is because punk, and you know I love punk, punk is a wonderful thing. It's it's the true fire of rock and roll. It's the true... um, bastard child of uh, Eddie Cochran and Buddy Holly and Elvis and rock and roll. It's the true, real or true progenitor of what would happen if those those people had children. If that musical format of child, rock and punk would be it when it grew up to become a teenager. It's the teenage years of rock and roll, if you think about it, because the rock and roll is the 50s, um, you fall in the 60s, teenagers in the 70s, right? So rock and punk is the teenage years of rock and roll. Um, and like all teenagers, most of them, most of us, we realise that it is limiting to uh, shake your fist, shout and, and jump up and down because you don't get anywhere after a while. And also um, you get bored of doing it. And I think what happened with the third album, particularly with this album, is a classic example of this, is that the punk movement limited itself so quickly with its own boundaries, even though it said it was boundless, it had its own boundaries and its own written rules and its own um, niche ideas. And within that, t- within those small boundaries, niche ideas and themes, you become restricted. And, and unless you do something different, all you're going to do is that thing for the rest of your career. And that's um, A, mind-numbingly boring for the artists, but also really un inspiring for us listeners so the medium and the and the and the format had to change um, and it did of course it evolved into new wave and then offshoots like scar and so on um, but new wave was you know is that slightly older teenager right that moving into their moving moving out of home and getting uh, a first relationship kind of of teenager uh, it was a bit more intelligent because it's now going to college right it's not just banging on the door asking for money and you know, asking his parents for money, I should say. So, you know, what I think when Mick Jones and, and Strummer were sitting down and Paul Simonon was, and, and uh, uh, Topper Hedron was sitting down, they were like, okay, I really, what, where do we go? Where do we take this to its logical conclusion? And um, I think they would have gone in round in circles to tour and make an album that still had the punk direction and ethos to so it, it could maintain most of its customer its, its fan base but at the same time try and um satisfy the the artists themselves in their own way as i said because how boring would it be to write the same thing over and over and over again? I mean, if you were, 
if you were doing that, you you really would be Kiss, wouldn't you? Um, or ACDC or any of those bands where they've got their sound and that's what they do. Now, for them, they might love doing it. It's fine. They love it and go on with it, you know, or stay as quo, something like that, you know. But And I love quo and I love ACDC and I like bits of Kiss, you know, whatever. But it would be very boring to keep doing that for year after year. So I think the also one of the signs of punk, what people forget is people look at punk and they think... Um, Mohicans, piercings, idiots, fighting, stupid people, uh, like, you know, like the image that people get of headbangers that were all, you know, um, all uh, Vivians of this world from the young ones, but we're not. And neither were punks. A lot of punks were actually intelligent. Like, if you look at the bands that moved from the movement, like Wire and A Flux of Pink Indians and um, The Clash and, uh, you know, XTC... I could name loads, um, that, you know, Elvis Costello, uh, to name a few, um, that really were quite intelligent, the jam, um, that had a social uh, stranglers, that had things to say, they weren't just, you know, creating violence, like people have this image that we were as punks, when, and I was one, and I still am, really deep down, um, you know, no, there was an intelligence to it. There was an intelligent side to it. And I think this is why, I said why, I think that this third album was tricky for them. Uh, because this album itself, uh, if you look at the genres that come out of this album, it's a mix of punk, reggae, rockabilly, ska, R&B, pop, lounge, jazz, which is an interesting one, and hard rock. So it's really, it's a bit of everything. And that makes it so punk. It's ridiculous because it is so a bit of everything. Uh, it is tearing everything down, restarting, changing, being different. So, what do we get? We get a double album. We get a double album with an iconic cover of Paul Simonham smashing his bass, which I found out in an interview with him was not his second bass, it was his only bass at the time. It wasn't like um, he was being sponsored and he could just smash his basses. As I said, these weren't making a lot of money, these people, right? They were doing better than people on the dole. Yeah, of course they were. Uh, or people want to check out or whatever. But they still weren't getting as much money as everyone thinks they would be. And that's true these days now, right? But anyway. Um, anyhow, it's a cover of that. It's, you know, the lovely, the lyric. The, it's a sort of like, it's copying the Elvis cover with the writing down the left-hand side in pink and green along the bottom and so on. It is, it, it's a double album. Again, really daring. Really daring. I mean, they then when I did a four album with a four, I think it's four, with Sandinista, which is, I said, was like, you know, a little bit too much up their own sphincter, that one. But this one was quite daring because I think in some territories it was cut down to a single album, releasing two single albums. But everywhere else, it was a double album. Um, asking... A punk audience or a new wave audience as it was sort of gradually becoming then to set their attention span to two vinyl or four vinyl sides this is this is a this is a, an audience that was vastly bred on only buying singles very rarely did punks buy the album they would buy the singles move on that's why the punk um, single collectors market is so huge I mean I was just looking for a book on the weekend about 
punk covers and I was like, oh my God, that one, I've got that one, that one, that one, that one. I was looking at these album covers, single covers and thinking, I'd rather have all these singles and all these than the albums because um, a lot of the time, punk singles were um, a flash in the pan, but those moments, that three minute, that two minute, that one and a half minute um, moment on vinyl uh, was more passionate and powerful than whole swathes of albums um, playing for 35, 40 minutes. So again, brave, right? Four sides. Um, I have to tell you that playing this album back again, I lost my attention span here and there. Uh, not because I can't listen to double albums. I'm a lover of prog, as you know. I don't. That's not an issue. I just felt that this album um, could have been and should have been probably split up and material over two albums. I think they would. They were really trying to. Um, give value for money and get all their ideas out in one go because I think also probably they probably thought this was it we're done now once we do this we're done I can't see how this can go any further um, which I can understand I mean a lot of the punk, punk thing was quite nihilistic wasn't it at the time where it was like you know burn brightly burn fast and go home and done you know like Sid Vicious burnt fast and burnt bright too fast and too bright he was never going to stay alight right um, that's not a lyric, but it should be, right? Anyway, let me set some tea one second. So, we, we have this double, this, 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 oh, oh yeah, my computer's done it again. Tap, tappy, tap. Oh, God. You know when you can't remember several passwords? Oh, this is this is quality quality stuff. This stuff. Anyway, um, so I don't know why it does that. I did put it into not going to sleep mode, but I'll check that out. Um, my train of thought. Yeah, so a a, 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 a double album. Um, and of course, more expensive as well. Think about this. I think maybe they did it. Well, I don't think they did because they released them quite cheaply. The trouble with San Danista is they wanted to release their album. I think it was, I think it was three vinyl. I've got a double. I can't remember. Um, one second, I'm going to check that because that's driving me around the bend. So I just looked at my collection. It's a triple album. Um, I must admit, I have it. I don't play it. Uh, anyway, so they went from a double to a triple. They would charge. One of the troubles with CBS is that they would got angry because the Clash wanted to charge two pounds forty nine or something like that for a triple when it was they would lose money making a triple album for that money. I think the same with the double album. They wanted to give their fans lots of option and lots of different things for uh, a small amount of money because they were about, as we saw, all the punk movement was about, wasn't about uh, ripping off their audience and their fan base. So they fill this album up. Now, we'll talk about track by track. I'm not going to go into each in-depth track like I normally do. It's too many to do for this show, but I will go into some... I'll t we'll, we'll have a chat about the tracks, and I'll talk about my favourites. Uh, it's a up-and-down album. I'm sure people out there who love this album are going to say, no, no, it's a golden classic, and everything on it is wonderful. And as I said, reaching out and listening to it again for the first time for a little while... Um, hmm... Yeah, it feels like it has some absolute gems. I mean, some golden standout, wonderful um, new wave reggae-driven scar classics, and then there's some, you know, some filler on it. And there's a trouble when you're squeezing out 
uh, a format, a, a punk format the way it is, trying to grow it, trying to make the album, make the person listening to it feel like it's you're getting more for the money, and also uh, like you're grown up and you're getting a bit more intellectual, wanting more and uh, more uh, and more uh, interesting. It if it just doesn't look it. <sighs> It is better than Sandinista. Let's just be honest. It is, it is a, an absolute cracker of an album, and it is better than Sandinista. But it is also not as good as Enough Rope, and it's not as good as the first album. And it's and, it, and you know, and honestly, it probably you could put some of the tracks on this, skipping Sandinista, and putting it on to Combat Rock quite comfortably. Um, anyway, that's enough for this side for the moment. Um, I'm going to go and get some fresh tea. Uh, refresh myself with the album again and listen to it again before I come back to the uh, record the side two I hope you've enjoyed the little chat and intro into the album those that don't know it while I pause to get my tea pause yourself put the album on have a listen um, and if you feel so free make some notes and uh, see if you can what you think compared to me I'm sure that you've got better opinions than I have I'm sure you have opinions that are more interesting but this be this will be a good way of um, of refreshing yourself to go listen to it if you haven't listened to it before listen to it now anyway enjoy these ads and i will talk to you on the other side about the album tracks bye for now hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Welcome back, guys, to part two of this week's episode of Heavy Mod Tones with me, your podcast host, Tony Evans. Um, I hope you listened to the album, like I said, you should do or are going to. London's Calling, the third album by Clash, the founding mem- one of the founding uh, members of the punk movement in the UK. Um, as I said, it's a double album. It's a lot of tracks to get our, um, our teeth into. Uh, it opens... It opens up with um, London's Calling, okay? Classic song. Most of us know the song London's Calling, all right? Um, it's it's a it's a it's a, a good old fashioned punk athematic or anthematic track. Um, fantastic, um, right, a sort of tribal drum beat in the background some staccato type guitars you've got uh, a sing-along chorus it, it you know it it's uh it's a, it's all about their um disenfranchised with the city they live in um and about how the the city's been taken over by um by people they don't like basically it's it it's calling about everyone gets drawn to London it's the center of the universe musically and culturally and it's just about about that basically it's a that's what that's the way I take it anyway not much we can say about that song everyone knows heard it most people know it it is the song that when you listen to the clash it's either London calling or um or I said should I stay or should I go you know or white riot you know they're the ones that most people will get yourself drawn to this is side A, by the way. And then we've got Brand New Cadillac, which is a cover by, of a song by Uncle Taylor and his um, Playboys. This is one of many covers on this particular album, which to me also reeks of I'm running out of ideas. Now, this is not a bad thing to put a cover or two on, and it does show your influence, and it does create, give the audience an understanding of where you're coming from um, musically, uh, and culturally and historically but sometimes when you've got more than one on it's saying hey we couldn't write enough original material um, don't get me wrong Brand New Cadillac is one of my favourite songs on this album and it's the second one in uh, it's not a Clash song but they really give it that Clash feel um, that with with um, the the uh, it's got a fantastic guitar refrain in it that I think is Mick Jones is doing uh, remixing the guitar piece on this and of course you know um you know what you can't help but be drawn in by um by joe strummer's vocal i mean sometimes extremely hard to understand um sometimes uh i think he does it deliberately but this one because it's a cover you can you sort of enjoy it's a good it's a very rock and roll song okay it's, it feels like a 50s drive through you know uh, American, a bit of Americana, you know. Uh, and then you've got Jimmy Jazz. Um, Jimmy Jazz is, uh, hmm. This is that lounge jazz thing I was talking about, right? Um, and of course, as I've talked before on the show, most of the heritage of modern music in the Western world derives from jazz and the blues, right? And I think that 
Joe Strummer himself had a big love for jazz uh, because of his upbringing with his I think his father was a musical music teacher I, I could be wrong anyway I don't think it's a Joe I don't think it's a Mick Jones thing I think it's definitely a, a, a Joe Strummer kind of thing um, he was that one I feel that he was a more intellectual of the pair and I could be wrong sorry Mick if you're listening no offence made right um, but Joe I think Joe was the one that had the jazz I could be the drummer he you know Hayden could have also really wanted um, uh, really wanted a jazz influence um, because he, because the jazz drumming is actually really fun to do but hey you know but uh, yeah it's it, it's got a good um, again a good sort of weirdness to it there's a the, the bit in the chorus we go z z z z you know it's like it's very it's very unpunk in a weird punky kind of way and i think this shows where this where this band was going at that particular time um and where they were trying i think they were it was almost like it feels like it's a um a tester album this is where we might go what what sound do we want to move towards guys is it jazz is it is it rockabilly where do we go um it does show the 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 uh, writing block though yeah and then we get into hateful hateful um i like hateful as a song it's one of those forgotten tracks on the album um it's a very musical track i mean like that, well, like that's a really weird and wanky thing to say but it's got a really good glissando sort of like a um rising ascending bass line a descending bass line which i find really really interesting and lovely to play as a bass player i've played it a few times um and it's because paul simonon wasn't a musician none of them were musicians really but like he said in his interview he went to art college to actually do art he didn't go to art college to join a band which most people did that then they went to art college to form bands um and so he had no idea about bass and stuff like that so i think come the third album he suddenly started to get his um his teeth into the instrument and and the and the and the limitations and um expectations of a bass player and then of course we go straight into rudy can't fail um it is a i if i'm going to pull out a song from this album that defines it i think this is it this is the scar reggae could be scar more reggae really um track on the end side one and it's again i think this is one of strummer's best vocal lines best recorded vocal piece it's um i think he, he stops trying to spit and be angry and he's and he's he's enjoying the the caribbean little Oh, that's terrible. I'm going to get myself offended, offend people there. But the, the Caribbean-esque or, you know, the laid-back beach far, um, thing, the the relaxed man thing, you know, um, have some, you know, have a bit of spliff, whatever thing of, of, of Jamaican reggae. I think it has that party feel that reggae has. It has that, um, although, I know you're going to point a finger at me and say, say Tony, reggae has its political aspects and I think it does of course it does um and it and it did and it still does and it and I think that's probably what drew the boys to reggae um also growing up I mean Paul Simon and growing up uh in you know in and around um 
Notting Hill and Labrook Grove uh, back in the 60s, you know, where it was a high immigration area, a lot of immigrant Jamaicans um, coming in to the city uh, and coming to the UK at that time, bringing their music with them. And I think that's probably part of it as well, right? But it is, it's one of my, it's a classic, it's, it's a brilliant song. It's got a beautiful lyric to it. Um, it's got a great sing-along thing. It's one of my favourite songs to sing along to. Uh, and then we, we flip that side one over and we come into side two. Now, this song is an earworm for me. Every time I listen to it, I find myself singing this song. I have absolutely no idea what the lyric is. I've read the lyric. I don't understand the lyric because I don't speak Spanish. But Spanish Bombs is... It's, it's, it's almost shouldn't be on this album it, it's almost um just released it as a single if i had to release this as a single i reckon it would have made big money um just that really lovely you know spanish bombs in andalusia it's like really oh it's it's so um so fun to listen to so fun to sing along to and you know there's that it goes oh my corazon i don't know what that if sorry spanish listeners Spanish-speaking people, I don't know what it is. I just enjoy singing along. It's basically about what the song is about. Is about um, that they're trying to tell a comparison between the Spanish Civil War and British back uh, holidaymakers, because back in the seventies there was this huge push for English people to go to the Costa del Sol, the Costa Brava, you know, cheap package holidays to Spain. Um, and we, I didn't, my family didn't because we were all, but you know, batshit poor, but, um, most people's families did go to Spain for holidays because it was cheap. And, uh, you know, the, there was this old thing, you know, go to Spain and see if you get the, if you don't get the shits. Cause, um, back that time, British people weren't used to what the term is. And I'm using air quotes here, greasy food. Um, you know, so, uh, oil and garlic, I mean, the British diet still is and to some extent quite bland and and so they weren't um used to it and it would give them gp tummy uh, uh you know and so it was you know people would say oh, you know i've been a bit of spain i've come back and oh, i've got the trots um that aside i don't know why i'm talking about that but anyway it's about spanish it's about the difference between the spanish civil war and our invasion of spain through um uh tourism it's a fantastic song. It it just makes me fills me full of joy. It fills me full of of happiness. And it, and every time I listen to it, um, and for many years actually, it's been on my top. If you put my Spotify 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 playlist on, Spanish Bombs appears in the top five or top ten of all the stuff I listen to. Because it just every now and again, it just I put it on and I, this brings me a smile to my face. It's just musically lovely. Um, now, then you get the right profile. Okay. Um, uh, what can I say about it? Not much. I'm going to move on from that. I'm going to move on, right? I'm going to move on. Uh, just it, I feel a. Let's just say that. I'm not going to. You, there are people out there who go, Tony, but it's my favourite song on the album. But I can't. I can't talk about everyone. I, I am limited within a time frame. I don't want to. I want to got a lot of tracks to cover. Not my favourite. Skip, skip. Uh, then Lost in the Supermarket appears. So amazing side, this. What a side this is. Spanish Bombs. And then 
lost in the supermarket. Um, it's a semi-autobiographical song about written by the boys about um, I think it's Paul Simonon's upbringing, upbringing, upbringing in a uh, by a single by living in a, a single room in a poor part of London, um, just you know wandering around the streets and shops, uh, dreaming of a future different to what they have. Um, and I think it's again that it's got that lovely really amazing uh, one of the things that Joe Strummer and the boys have basically and Mick Jones they are a crazily gifted pairing of lyricists I'll try and say that when you've had a few drinks all right um, they know how to write a song that is beautiful that is catchy that is meaningful and it is um is you know um narratively interesting taking the music aside the music itself um is new wave it, both spanish bombs or well, spanish bomb sounds very european it has a very european sound um but uh lost in the supermarket has a sort of very clashy look at sorry I keep it in the mic a very clashy look at the way new wave is because they were also new wave this is now for those that don't know what new wave is new wave is punk becoming much more palatable to the audience and so more pop like when punk went from um you know imagery that would shock to pop it had became new wave um some people find new wave a an offensive term some punks find it very upsetting um hardcore punks but i think you know like anything it has to dive diversify and it has to grow up and as i said before it burnt so fast it could never be the same right it's only a small period of time so new wave um it's yeah it's just got a really i think mick jones sings on it it's got a great um yeah, I don't know. I'm getting lost for words here. I think it's just one of my favourites. Please go and put it on. I think if you, you can certainly. What a way to end end the side though. Start it with Spanish bombs and end it with. Uh, um, oh no, it isn't the end of side two. Uh, sorry, I'm looking. At, I've written my. I have not read my notes properly, people. What a surprise! Um, you then go into Guns of Brixton. So this is Guns of Brixton is. Uh, the B-side to Trade in Vain, and it's also the first song that Paul Simonon sings on. Um, he wrote, I believe. Uh, again, it is playing into his very strong um, connections with um, the Afro-Caribbean community in the UK in the 70s, 60s, sorry, late 60s and 70s. Um, Brixton being not knowing if not if you don't know from London, Brixton at, well still is but was a very um, a very ethnically diverse part of London. So a lot of uh, Jamaicans and Ghanaians and West Indians and all sorts of wonderful people, Sierra Leoneans, all coming to stay. And like most uh, ethnic bases, they'll go to places where they're. Uh, like-minded are like Chinatown and you get places where these you know a lot of um, 
ethnicities to get to get together because they feel strength in numbers. Uh, of course, sadly, very much and very sadly, um, like white riot, uh, there was a lot of violence towards these wonderful people that are coming into the country and creating um, beautiful diversity and bringing cultural differences and um, and art and and wonderful things. They, instead of there is a minority that will find. Um, um, scary, offensive, um, terrifying, uh, you know, bigoted people. Let's not go on. We won't go more further into it than that. We all know what we're talking about. We're talking about xenophobia and racism, okay? There are these people, and of course, these people, instead of acting with words, they act with violence. And then we get race riots. And we had a lot of race riots in Brixton, Toxteth. And this is basically around about that. Guns of Brixton. It's sort of a, 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 a look at that, a look at the diversity of the city of part of London and how the violence that occurred there. Um, it is... Um, sorry, I'm just going to go over here. It is a sadness that I don't want to talk about, but yes, because I, I do remember it as a child. I remember these days and those days, and they were horrible. And I, they happened even in, in where I grew up in Hendon. There were there were race issues, um, particularly in West Hendon, which is a uh, uh, socially economically um, poorer part of North London. A lot of immigrants went there because rent was cheap, housing was cheap. Um, but again, at the same time, when you've got lack of money, you have lack of education in a lot of places, and this is where the stuff happened. Anyway. But that aside, it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of music. And I think Paul says he's very proud of it. And I think he should be. And it's one of those, um, again, as I said before, cut the album down to maybe one disc and get this on there. Take the killer out. Take the filler out. Put this in. Make it a killer album. It, it would just be crazy. Um, and then it's followed. Um, we turn over to side three. Because that was the end of side two. Um, and we open up with another cover version uh, this is Wrong and Boyo by Clive I've written this down Alfonso performed by the um, oh no, I have app. I can't read my handwriting one moment what a tip that's so typically me um, I need to rewind a bit a second there um, I split I lost a page I skipped a page um, after um, these people are going to be going, what's he doing? He doesn't, he doesn't do his research. I do my research. I write it down. Pages get stuck together. Um, after Lost in the Supermarket, we have Clamp Down, um, which is the single that was released early in Australia. Uh, that, again, has a really fantastic um, sing-along chorus. Very much a, a pop song to me. Again, it's another um, play on uh, restricting people's thoughts and ideas, racism, um, xenophobia, the governmental control, um, you know, looking for the clamp down. It's again, it's a very, come on, come on. It's very, um, it's very, it's a Joe Strummer and um, Nick Jones song. It's very, it, it, this side actually, take out the right profile. So Spanish bombs, lost in the supermarket, clamp down and guns of Brixton, which is side two, is a cracker. Again, a cracker, right? Uh, uh, three minutes and 40 seconds long. Um, sorry, that's 
cars racing in the background. My window is open because it's a nice warm day. Um, oh, sorry, I missed it. Sorry, it was attached. I, my paper, you know, things happen. But it, look, brilliant song. Cracking up. So, next song, Rongan Boyo. Clive Alfonso originally performed it by, performed by the Rulers, including Stagger Lee. Now, obviously, I don't know who that really is. I could, but it's, um, according to Wikipedia, let's do live note-taking here. Stagger Lee, known, um, is a popular American folk singer. Um, so, it's a, it's a folk singer, okay? Rongan Boyo does sound... Or even though they add a bit of a scar kind of um, knees up kind of fun to the song, it does have a bit of that sort of protest movement feel, um, a bit um, a bit Bob Dylan-y, a bit um, a bit sort of hippie kind of thing, which is a beautiful contrast for the um, the album itself. Again, a cover song. Yes, they add their twist to it, but uh, you know, does it need to be there? No, I don't think it does. I think it's. Um, you're getting one of the weakest songs in the album. And then we go on to Death or Glory. A crack. I keep saying crack up, right? But this. Spanish Bombs. Um, lost, in the, uh, lost in the Supermarket. Clamped Down Guns of Brixton. And Death or Glory. Uh, I really can't fail. Um, are pure Clash classics. Um Again, it's not like, like Spanish Bombs, it's an airworm. I, I was in, having a shower the other day, and I had this album on while I was reviewing it, you know, getting back my head around it, and I'm going, I could not get my head off of singing the bloody lyrics to Death or Glory. Um, again, it's got a great sing-along, you know, Death or Glory, just another story. It's, it's, it's really a beautiful movement from the un, inaudible stuff that came off of the first album to the lyric in this one and it's it sort of you know it's like the spit and vitriol of the first the same kind of vitriol on this song but with much more eloquence and it's it's a sing-along again put this out as a single I don't they probably would have done because I didn't name Death or Glory but Cracker oh my god um, one of my favourite songs on the album then we follow with Coca Coca Coca-Cola which is a song about, um, you know, as it says, really, it's about uh, consumerism, American consumerism. Again, filler, move on, not a great fan. Um, the card cheat, this, what what can I say about the card cheat? Gosh, it's um, it's like something that would be in in the credits of a, of a Western. Um, it, it, it's got this... Um, Men in the what's his name? The man in black, the um, you know, a boy called Sue, you know, him. It's got it's got that feel to it, you know. Um, you know, Johnny Cash, it's got sort of a Johnny Cash feel to it, um, which you know, again, is that musical diversity that you've get that you get with this this album that makes this album, um sort of one of the one of the most weird curiosities of the punk era you wouldn't get it before this i don't think you wouldn't have got it and you won't get it after either i think this is a, a one of those um albums that only punk could make and only british punk could make i think um because they really show on their sleeves 
their um, true um, diversity and love for music that isn't just rock and roll in three minutes. And that's the end of side three. Wow, okay. So we're catching our breath. My God, we've had three bloody sides of this album. Where can we go from here? What is going to happen now? Um, and I'm going to speed through these quickly because, again, these don't do anything for me. Lovers Rock is um, the first part of side four. Then Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen, it, it, musically, yeah, I'm not down. Um, as I said, you, I mean... Luckily, these don't hang around. Four minutes, two minutes, 50, and three minutes. Um, not something that... They're all written by Jones. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Um, Mick Jones wrote the card sheet, and, you know, he does that, and then comes along and does this. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. But then we move, after those three kind of blandish tracks to um, track four on this side, which is another cover song. Um, Revolution Jackie Rock um, by Edwards Danny Ray, originally performed by Danny Ray and the Revolutionaries. Um, I'm not gonna, it's five minutes and 30 long. Um, it's a cover song. Um, it, it's, they, had a, they had a scarish twist to it. There's a nice bit of punkiness. Uh, there is that, you know, Topper's um, drumming on it is probably the best on the album, but it, it is, again, another cover. I don't really want to talk about this one because um, I'd rather you listen to them and then get your own mind on these covers. I just I, I feel a little bit cheated slightly by this too many covers on an album. And then we end with Train in Vain. As I said, one of the considered one of the top 220 songs of all time in the um, uh, in the um, hard um, what's it called uh, rock and roll magazine um, top 500 um, songs and it, it's it is brilliant because it's a real bastardization of several musical forms um, I'll read what it says here on the original version of the album, Train in Vain was not listed on the sleeve, nor the label of the record itself, but a sticker indicated the track was affixed to the outer cellophane wrapper. It was also scratched into the vinyl in the runoff area, um, the fourth side of the album. Later editions included the song on the track listing. So, if you've got an album where it's not mentioned, it's one of the very first, I think it's the first hundred, maybe 1,000 copies of it, where it was a hidden Easter egg kind of track. And then it was released, um, because it was released as a single, they then put it on to the printed cover sleeve. I've got one of those where it's not mentioned, and I've also got one where it's mentioned. And um, uh, let's see what, what we can say about this song, okay? I mean, the cover's brilliant, the single. It's it's the cover of the album. It's Paul Simon and smashing his guitar. Um Again, recorded in Wessex Studios, released on the top of February 1980. A B-side, London Calling. What a B-side. Amazing, right? But again, I've already released London Calling, so a bit of a cheek, really, isn't it? Let's be honest. A bit of a, bit of a for a band that doesn't want to rip people off, a bit of a rip-off. Um, now, in the US, the title's expanded, Train in Vain, Stand By Me, because it does have that... I stand by me, dun, 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 lyric going on, 
um, that's sort of in the chorus, is dominant in the chorus. Um, and to, to confuse, to stop the, the confusion between the Benny King signature song, Stand By Me, and that, they had to put Train Invade on it. Um, sorry, Americans, I know that's a bit silly, but some it's a bit odd to me that you had to do that. But again, not a big band in America at the time, not huge, huge band, so it would have been confusing to some people. Um, let's see here. The track was, he says here, Mick Jones says, the track was like a train rhythm and there was once again the feeling of being lost. Um, there was this sense of, there was a sense of loss, isn't there, in this album. If you look across the, the uh, and, and confusion, him lost in the supermarket, not where he's going, London calling where everyone's drawing him in and not knowing where they are, Bombs of Brixton, which is basically, Guns of Brixton, which is basically a loss of, uh, of innocence because of violence. Um, Mick Jones split up with guitarist. I, I didn't know that he was actually, when I mean, he was, he was de- he was dating Viv Abertine um, at the time, and the song would have been about, probably about loss as well, around that. Um, the, the song has been interpreted to be about Jones' volatile relationship with Albertine, who commented, I'm really proud to have inspired that, that but often the, he won't admit to it. He used to get the train to my place in Shepherd's Bush, and I would let him in. He was beating on the doorstep, that was cruel. The couple separated around the time of recording of the sessions of London Calling. So, um, you know, that, so Vive Abertine was in the Slits, I believe, the wonderful female punk band. Um, and it, also, the album is an absolute cracker. Cut is an amazing album. If you can get the original one I've got with them all with, with bare chested and covered in mud, it was very controversial. Um, it's, it's a cracker of an album. Um, then in the charts, it got to 62 in Canada, 26 in New Zealand, 23 in US. Um, it doesn't say we've gotten to in the UK. I think it pretty didn't really chart, to be honest with you, because uh, the album didn't do big numbers either. Um, and that's it. That's 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 my take on um, London Calling. It is a mixture of an album. There are people here who listen to this. Sh- program now that will go I'll listen to it tone and I didn't see what you're talking about or what are you talking about it's the most amazing thing um since sliced bread and that's probably true oh pardon me I've just smacked the mic stand with my book to a lot of people I just think it's that problematic I, we're growing up from teenagers to adults um and we want to like you do when you get older as you get older you want to show your um you want to show the world your influence you want to say hey look this is what makes me me this is what makes me a complex human being this is what makes me a complex musician this is what makes me um an individual because to be an individual you have to at some time have been um part of the crowd and to break away and so they want to show that they do have their allegiances and yet Yes, where, as I said, it's got a handful of, of, of outrageously amazing songs, probably the best they've ever, the, the band ever recorded. Um, but at the same time, unfortunately, it's full of too many cover versions, which is great for people who don't know those songs and those musicians. So, you know, I'm sure in their corner, in their defence, they're saying, well, yeah, but we're, we're bringing this music to the world and it's probably forgotten music like Clapton was doing with the blues in the 60s with Cream. He was bringing um, 
ethnic um, African-American blues to the white streets of London and, and the UK and Europe. Um, yes, I, I'm sure you could shout that in your defense, but at the same time, make an album of that instead. Um, don't, I don't want to, I don't want my album to be four, three or four cover songs. I mean, it's just a little bit too much for me. Um, but I said, well, I hadn't, when I first heard this album back when I was maybe 12 or 13, I had no idea that these, these songs were covers, um, until I looked at the album sleeve. Um, and the birthday back even then I was a little bit, oh, okay. Um, now I could have gone the other way. I could have gone, wow, I'm going to now listen to more of this particular band or this particular movement or this particular, uh, I love it so much, but I didn't because I was a snobby punk and I wanted to hear more, um, Guns of Brixton, more, um, Death or Glory, you know, more, more, more of that. That's what I wanted. Um, and I'm sure that's probably what hampered the, the, them becoming even bigger than they were because they wanted so desperately appears to me to diversify um, in a time when um, I mean the wonderful thing about punk is that, that a lot of punks were into diversity and it was about um, it wasn't as I said before all about violence and spitting on each other and smacking each other around and, and, and aggression it, there was a lot of intelligence in amongst the musical Cognoscenti but I think also probably 50% of their audience was that um, nihilistic, um, you know, skinheads. And it didn't it didn't do well. Look at what happened when um, a classic band like Sham 69, you know, they weren't a skinhead band. They weren't into violence. You know, um, Jimmy Percy was is a, a peace-loving, um, intellectual man who loves diversity yeah, his audience all became skinheads doing Nazi salutes in his front row and he even said you keep doing that we, we won't we won't um, appear on stage and they didn't he left he just wouldn't come back I got physically well I didn't get attacked like I got away from him but I was attacked almost attacked by uh, a German skinhead uh, he was no just because he was German this is going to go German, Germans this is just part of the story he was German um um he had glasses, I remember, and he was a skinhead, and, and I was at, um, I was going to see this, the sham at the Swan in Fulham, and they didn't turn up, and I kicked the sign over, because I was a bit annoyed, come all the way across London, and uh, he saw me, he must have thought I was having a go at the band, and he's chased after me, he had a bicycle chain and everything, swinging it around, I luckily, anyone knows Fulham train station, you've got two sets of stairs that go down onto the platform, I'd sort of sprinted down those, got on the train, and just as I got onto the train, the doors shut, and he smacked the train doors with a bike chain. Um, that's the kind of audience that, that they unfortunately had, and that's what a lot of them punks sort of thought they had to do and were. And, you know, it was a place for aggression, because at that time, music wasn't as aggressive. You'd had your... Um, you had your prog rock and your your heavy rock and your um, your folk stuff and and there was all this pent up energy and anger and then instead of using it correctly these thugs um, reached out reached out that way and as I was just saying so I'm I'm sidetracking diversifying in my opinion but that's what's happening so they 
didn't influence I don't know if they influenced lots of people with these with these songs they put on the album I personally would have would have now as an older man who's about to turn 50 mm-hmm, um, would like to say that I'd rather that on a separate album come on guys release an album of your influences man it would make a cracking album um, this sort of was an album of their influences because they used different musical forms and terms and signatures and motifs and time signatures and notation and you know glissandoing up uh, uh, pieces of music but was it the right time to do it possibly not was it brave of them yes um i think the clash and this is going to this is really gonna um sort of set the cats amongst the pigeons here I genuinely think The Clash as a band genuinely were maybe two albums possibly three outside that done um, because they they had too much to say individually and not enough time and ability combined and enough and also not not enough time uh, not enough uh, money um and and experience to get the their vision across collectively anyway there's me being intellectual about this particular album i hope you enjoyed the album i hope you enjoyed the the review i said i'd spent a few cross few some of the singles i saw i got the clamp down thing mixed up again my notes in my notebook i write them down and then they get stuck and stuff and i just cross pages and, um but as I said, go and listen to the album if you haven't listened to it already. Love, I'd love to hear what your opinion is on the album um, and on the songs, your favourite songs on the album. If you like the album, you might hate The Clash. Um, you might go, I can't do it. Uh, either way, who cares? As long as, you, as, long as you're trying it. Uh, I'll leave you a little shout out. April's coming up and it's going to be my 100th show. April's going to be a weird month. I'm doing Women in Women in Rock. April. I was going to do Women in Metal, but I think it's too restrictive. I want to do Women in Rock slash Metal for April. There will be four shows, but there will be a fifth show chucked in on the week of my 100th show. It will be my celebrating my 100th show because um, I don't want to... I've already set these plans in motion for the four shows for April. So I will chuck in... I didn't realise it was my 100th show coming up when I was writing all the shows and my plan for April. Um... Uh, typically me anyway i hope you've enjoyed listening to it i hope you enjoyed the show talk to you soon guys um ciao for now Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.